They were out of status and vulnerable. Never mind that there was no evidence that these were the people who were wielding the guns, or that their expulsion would do much of anything to bring peace to Chinatown. In raids carried out over several days, local police imposed a dragnet as federal agents swooped in on Chinatown. They rounded up everyone they could find who looked Chinese, some of whom were citizens, and most of whom were legal residents. Without warrants, they raided restaurants, gambling houses, laundries, theaters, tenements, and shops. They dragged people from their beds. If wiping out the scourge meant running roughshod over individual rights and playing fast and loose with the law, they proved alarmingly eager to step up. Detainees by the hundreds were ferried by paddy wagon to the federal building, where they were herded into a large room and examined through interpreters, one by one, by immigration officers in impromptu hearings. Those with papers were released. Those without documents were placed under arrest, arraigned, and sent to the tombs, Lower Manhattan's jail, or to Ellis Island. Men who had never brandished a weapon in their lives wept as they were held without bail to await certain deportation. No other immigrant group had ever been targeted the way the authorities were going after the Chinese. Italian and Irish emigres had fought their share of brutal gang wars, but nobody had ever rounded them up for wholesale expulsion. Yet this time, the government was acting as if the only way to bring peace to Chinatown was to get rid of its Chinese through whatever means necessary. How it came to this is the story of four bloody wars and countless skirmishes fought intermittently over more than three decades in New York's Chinatown and the Chinese quarters of several other cities in America's East and Midwest, with their attendant casualties, peace parleys, and treaties. It is a story of a clash of mismatched cultures, of misunderstandings, naivete, and bigotry. It tells of stubborn men willing to fight and die, not only for concrete rewards like money and property, but also for intangibles like loyalty and face. That Asian notion so closely tied to reputation, dignity, and prestige. And it is the story of a veritable army of precinct captains, detectives, and uniformed officers, bound and determined to stop them. Or at least to line their pockets. The warriors were men from South China, most of whom had come to the West Coast to seek their fortunes and eventually headed east, but who planned to return home at some future date. Most were manual laborers, but some built businesses, amassed substantial wealth, and planted roots in America. The Tongs were their secret sworn brotherhoods, organized ostensibly for social purposes, but very much involved in criminal activity. The Chinese term carries no negative connotation and can be used to describe any of a variety of organizations. But for clarity's sake, its use in this book will generally be limited to those secret societies. Their weapons were cleavers and knives, then guns, and eventually explosives. And their primary battleground in New York was a triangular parcel of land not much larger than an acre,
adjoining the seedy Five Points neighborhood of Lower Manhattan. Bounded by Mott and Pell Streets, Chatham Square, and the Bowery, and including the whole of Crooked Doyer Street, it was then, and remains today, the heart of New York's Chinatown. In my many years of living and working in China, studying the Chinese language, and doing research on early Chinese-American history, I had heard frequent mention of the Tong Wars, but most of what I had read about the Tongs was highly sensationalized, as indeed was much of what was written about all Chinese in America before about thirty years ago. Many writers were more interested in conjuring up oriental mystery and lurid intrigue than presenting real history because that is what most people wanted and expected to read. I also knew that many... Ch-